What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Tuesday, May 31st. Happy kind of belated Memorial Day to everybody. Today's Tuesday. We uh, haven't posted in about a week because Matt got married. Yeah, Matt, how how do you feel? Uh, not not too different because, uh, you know, it, it was it was just kind of a lot of a lot of stuff happening at the, all at the same time. Um, the only difference that well, kind of a bright side is that um, me and my now wife haven't ever actually really lived together despite basically knowing each other and growing up for the last like seven years and being dating for that whole time and then being long distance for like the last five years, pretty much. Um, so yeah, but she's still kind of back and forth because we got to move all our stuff and then, yeah, but otherwise not, not too much. We didn't do a honeymoon either because, um, I know you guys are now like, wow, Hayden, where are you at with the personal anecdotes? Now it's Matt. What? Yeah, exactly. Matt's been talking a lot about himself recently. So okay. Well, anyway, we didn't do a honeymoon because um just both of our personal lives schedules are kind of crazy. She just uh, finished grad school and is kind of just got her teacher's, you know, job first job. And so she needs to kind of be doing appointments for that. I am kind of finishing up my I'm in a management program at a bank and I'm kind of finishing up my program and I'm actually moving to from Northern Virginia to Richmond uh, for that. So lots of stuff going on that we really can't can't really afford to miss. We also have like two family vacations um, within a month of each other coming up here in the summer. So just if we would have done something we probably would have rushed it it wouldn't have been as enjoyable we probably would have spent more money than we meant to or at least probably not enjoyed it as much because yeah so we're probably going to wait till either this winter or or next year maybe do like a one-year anniversary type deal and just kind of go all out right because that way you know we'll have saved up some money we can spend time actually planning the full thing out um and uh and then kind of just you know take some time for ourselves when it's not all craziness because of the wedding we were thinking too like we got home you know and then and and her cousins actually both of them got married within one year of each other a couple years ago and both of them went on honeymoons right after they got married like the day after and so you end up like going to bed at like 1 or 2 a.m and then you're waking up four hours later to get on a plane for 13 hours to go to hawaii or wherever you're going and it's like that's just not enjoyable so it was it was kind of funny because we were waking up on sunday after uh the morning after and we were kind of just like dude it's actually nice to just sleep in go see our family go hang out go back to our apartment um instead of having to uh to run to a plane or anything so yeah we'll uh We'll, we'll plan that at some point. I'll, I'll obviously keep you guys updated now that everyone is so invested in in the uh, in the yes. in the whereabouts of my personal relationship. But today on the podcast, um, we got a couple couple things. Obviously, the NBA uh, conference finals were both f- kind of finished up um, as of Sunday night, and then um, you know there there was a there was there was there was a a good amount of sports this weekend, Formula One race. So we'll kind of get to all that and then kind of doing our first little bit of NBA draft talk. Um, just kind of just kind of scratching the surface here, not doing not doing anything deep, but uh, kind of in the last two weeks-ish, the, the NBA draft lottery order came out. And so um, we kind of know who the top, you know, the top, uh, well, we know the order of all the picks at this point. And then also, you know, kind of within, you know, Couple couple weeks here, we'll have the actual draft itself. So we're going to be doing a little bit, you know, a little bit, little bit of a deep dive. Not necessarily a ton of huge topics, but I think this is kind of what me and Hayden thrive on when it comes to talking a little bit uh, deeper about the about, about about sports and giving you kind of the stories and and everything that that may not be front and center on ESPN that we that we love to get into. So uh, yeah, if Hayden has anything else, we can just we can just dive in. All right, well let's do it. Let's get into NBA first. So. The finals are set. Both teams that were favored to win um, the series, their respective series, did so, but not without some interesting storylines throughout. Now, we talked about the blowouts last episode and what's up with those and why they were happening. We gave some kind of diagnoses for those. But let's dig deeper and point out one topic from each series. So, obviously, we're going to point out one topic from the Warriors and Mavs series and then one topic from the Heat and Celtics series. Now, the first one is going to be about the Western Conference Finals, which which is the Warriors should have swept the Mavs. The series was it just wasn't close at all. 
Um, what did they do differently than the Suns? Meaning they, meaning the Warriors. What did the Warriors do differently than than the Suns? And why, in you know, in completely neutralizing the biggest strengths of the Mavs team, why were they able to make it look so easy as opposed to the Suns, who really were expected to be the dominant force in the West coming into these playoffs, and then all of a sudden lost Game Seven, and everybody was like, "Oh shoot!" Um, I didn't, I didn't hear one person say, "Well." I mean, Matt said that the Warriors were going to go to the finals, but other than Matt, I mean, I don't really think I was looking around. I was reading articles. I was listening to ESPN, everything like that. I couldn't really find anybody saying that one team is going to dominate the the West other than the Suns. Everybody was saying the Suns, they're, you know, they're so dominant. They've just got such a complete team. I was saying the same exact thing. Matt called the Warriors, so I'm going to hand it over to him here and let him evaluate why the Warriors did it so easily against the Mavs. Yeah, it's a couple things. Um, the first being that we saw, I think the reason that the Mavericks were able to so easily beat the Jazz uh, in the first round and then kind of really pull an upset there against the Suns in the second round is because they went small ball, right? Which is essentially the theory of playing smaller, shorter players um, and, and, and kind of you know, basically just running a faster tempo, shooting more shots, shooting more deep shots uh, for the potential for, for more points. And then kind of, you know, being able to play off of the dynamic of another team playing big men who, you know, in a case of, yes, you know, that big man might be able to rebound a little bit more, but if you have, a, if you have a bunch of small guys running around the court, a bunch of guards and, and smaller, small forwards playing all five positions um, you know, you want to talk about fast pace. You want to talk about, you know, break it, you know, breakaway opportunities. I think that that is kind of what the Mavericks, you know, were, were really trying to do here and they did it effectively. Um, I think that was kind of the biggest thing uh, in, in playing the Suns was, well, two things, um, you know, kind of stood out when they were, when they were beating the Suns. The first was that they were just screening Chris Paul all the time. So whenever, uh, whenever one of the Mavericks players was getting the ball at the top of the point, they would just, someone guy would come set a pick on Chris Paul and Chris Paul is one of the smallest players in the NBA, right? So at nearly at virtually anybody who's setting a pick on Chris Paul is going to do it successfully, successfully. And, you know, for Chris Paul to be one of the best defensive players in in the NBA, if he's getting bodied, you know, right, every every chance that someone else gets the ball, he's not going to have a great opportunity to be able to, you know, be effective and play defense like he's normally used to doing. So that I think was really smart by the Mavericks and something that didn't really go uh, or that, that kind of went unnoticed, I would say most people, you know, didn't really didn't really talk about that. And so really what happened in this Mavericks and Warriors series with the Warriors, they just did what the Mavericks did, but did it better than them, right? They played small ball. Obviously they have the splash brothers still, but you know, you, you had Kevon Looney in there sometimes and, and he's, he actually had a heck of a series. I mean, he, he's probably, if they didn't have him, they may not have even won this or at least, you know, it, it, Mavericks would have been able to win more games. He's actually a very pivotal member of their team. Now uh, I never thought I'd be saying that, you know, it, it, in, you know, five, four or five years ago, um, Jonathan Kaminga, right. A rookie, um, it, it, you know, is, is, has been, kind of learning, you know, putting his, uh, you know, putting his best foot out there. And so I think what happened was the Warriors have been playing this style of basketball for the better part of 10 years now, right? Ever since this kind of collection of the Splash Brothers, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and Klay Thompson have been with Golden State. And, and realistically, for the two years where they weren't you know, part of this dynasty and, and making the finals every year, every year, it was because one or multiple of those guys was hurt. And, and so we saw this, right. Especially after, you know, KD left, right. You know, whatever Clay Thompson, he goes down for, you know, for the, for the year. Um, Draymond Green also went down that year last year, Steph Curry was hurt a bunch. Clay Thompson was hurt again. So it's like, you've had this kind of, we, we, we've had a couple years where we haven't seen this style of basketball being played. And I think the rest of the league hasn't either. And now the Warriors are back, obviously, as you know, as we said, and this is what I said, that's why I called it. Right. I said to begin the, you know, when we made our NBA picks, the playoff, you know, predictions, I was like, the Warriors are going to the finals. I have them winning the championship. I, you can go back and listen to that podcast. We did like three months or two months ago or whatever it was um, where I picked the Warriors to win the, win the, uh, win the finals, just because it's like nothing has really changed with this team, but the rest of the league isn't used to, playing them as they you know have been uh you know or or as the warriors were for the past you know f five seven years before that and so that's kind of where i think that they were able to get the better of the mavs team who 
tried to play in the same way against the, the Warriors that they did the Suns, but you can't do that. The Suns are a very different team. We mentioned however many times we had, you know, we've had two separate topics about DeAndre Ayton, his future, as well as kind of, you know, how much he was playing. And then when he wasn't playing, they also have JaVale McGee. They also have Bismack Biombo. So it's like, you got big guys. And so there's always going to be a five playing for Phoenix, who is a great, you know, rim protector is going to grab those rebounds. But when you're faced off against a team who just is going to be playing small ball, running past you all the time and just jacking up threes and making them a lot. That's a, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. And I think that's pretty much in a nutshell, what happened to the Suns against that, you know, against that warrior or against that Mavs team, the Mavs then go into the warrior series. And it's like, you can't play the same style of basketball because you have to know that despite you know, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry getting older every year. Yes. You know, they, they definitely are older than before, but they have guys like, you know, obviously like, um, you know, like Jordan Poole and, and, and Kevon Looney's playing really well, better than he, you know, better than he ever has. And then obviously, I mean, you know, at this point you like, they have Otto Porter Jr. Coming off the bench. Like, I mean, he's been hurt, but like Andrew Wiggins, you know, was, was basically a bust in Cleveland and now he or in, in Minnesota. And now he's, you know, kind of showing his star potential. So it's like, they, they're back and better than ever, and they play the exact same style as the Mavericks do. They just do it better. So I don't think the Mavericks really adjusted to what they should have in order to kind of face this Warriors team who just plays really well um, in, in the same in the same way that the Mavs have found success. And, and I mean, I think a big part of that is defense, right? I mean, we've seen Klay Thompson over the years just like, yes, as much of a spot-up shooter as he is, he moves his feet and plays defense just like any other great defender in the NBA, you know, Steph Curry has, has faced has faced criticism for his level of defense, but he will he will put his body in there, right? He's also like not as small as you think. He's like 6'3". So if someone guy, you know, is driving on him, he's not going to be able to, you know, stop the, the guy who's driving and block a shot because that's just not his style of game. But you know what he will be able to do is just throw his body in there, draw a charge every once in a while, or at least impede the guy on his way to the basket and try to make it a little bit, you know, more tough for him. But I think the Mavs, just kind of like got used to just making a bunch of threes. And sure, if you're making 45% of your threes on a, on a per game basis, you're probably going to win a lot of games. But when those shots aren't falling and you're also being defended better than you have been throughout the rest of the playoffs, that's not, you're not going to win that way. So I think it was kind of just a double front of like, offensively and defensively the Mavericks played a certain way that got them to that point but then they faced off against a juggernaut who played exactly like they did just did it did everything better and and we saw the result um I I really didn't think the Mavs were going to stand a chance in this in this series and they didn't and and again we're, we're not this is nothing against the Mavericks and, and I they played as hard as they could have and even um Jason Kidd after one of the games he was pretty much just like conceding it he was just like yeah we're, we're happy to have made it this far it was like after game three there was like the Warriors were up 3-0 and uh and obviously no teams ever come back from a 3-0 deficit but like Jason Kidd was basically like yeah we're, we're happy we got here um and it, you know he didn't really say it but I'm pretty much I'm pretty sure he meant like you know, we're happy we got here and we know that we're not going to win this series, but it was at least a good effort, which it was. You got to the Western Conference Finals and nobody expected you to. So I think that for, for as much as I was kind of just, you know, giving the war, giving the Mavs a, a bunch of, you know, a bunch of crap there, they outperformed their expectations and played a level of basketball that was clearly good enough to get them to be one of the last four teams in the NBA, uh, you know, playing, you know, for, for the chance to win a championship. So for what they did, it was very impressive and it was very good. There was a, you know, they're forcing you get into the Western Conference Finals. Who would have ever thought that? But at the same time, I think they could have probably adjusted a little bit better. And and maybe now, you know, they can kind of see going forward, all right, in the offseason, what do we do to kind of combat the fact that, like, if we don't have shooters, we're not going to be able to do anything. And, I, you know, I, I had the Luca conversation a couple of weeks ago as well, where it's kind of like, it's a tough situation with Luca because obviously he's one of the best players offensively in the entire league, but because of that, he needs the ball in his hands a lot. And if you're going to get him a number two, well, that number two is also going to need the ball in his hands a lot. And so it's kind of like, what are you going to do there? I think, you know, they have the shooters down. I think it's just kind of, they, if they can round out their team with a good solid big man, um, I, I think the sky's the limit for the Mavs team. And so I think I see a lot of hope in them. I just think the Warriors have, have not really, they're back to the level that they were three or four years ago. We just kind of forgot about what they were. And so did the rest of the league. And then they're like, Hey guys, nothing changed. All right. We're still here. It's the same core group and we got this. So, so that's kind of my take on it. Um, and I know I talked a little for a little while there. So 
we'll, we'll move on to, uh, we'll kind of do the Eastern, Eastern Conference Finals after this, but I'd like to hear Hayden's thoughts, maybe, you know, if, if there's a couple other things that, that he mentioned maybe about, uh, or that he saw or noticed, maybe about Luca specifically, or kind of what the Warriors did to, to really, to really kind of, you know, outperform the Mavs in, in, obviously we expected them to do so, but just kind of in the fashion that they did, obviously winning in game in five games uh, and, and nearly sweeping the Mavericks in the, in the Western conference finals. Yeah. I think all everything you said there was really good. And in terms of the whole Luca situation, like Matt said, everybody's been saying that Luca needs some kind of supporting cast around him. But the problem is that when you bring in a guy that, is supposed to is supposed to complement a guy like Luca. It may not always work out. We see it all the time with with teams trying to make super teams. But then you know if if you bring in a guard to help another guard out, then one guard isn't getting the ball enough, and then they're not happy, and then you know problems arise and everything like that. So I think it, it's really hard to diagnose that situation because yes, Luca does need help. I would I'd probably say that, that that it's more down low than it is up top with him. I think that like Luca's a, a special player in the sense that he doesn't need anybody up top to help him because he's so good. He's so strong and so powerful, but also such a good shooter that like he can get down low easily and then make that outlet pass to the corner. We saw him do it all throughout the the Warriors series where he just would drive. I mean, he would do the little double, you know, between the legs and then either step back or fake step back and then go in. And then he would, he would pass it out to, you know, Maxi Kleba or uh, Finney Smith on the outside or something like that. So we saw that a lot, but I think it's, it, he just needs better shooters, but really, I think he just needs guys that can literally just shoot better from three on the outside and, and the Mavs will have it, have it made. But again, if I'm the Mavs, I'm not going to try to bring in a guy who plays like Luka Doncic because it's, it's not, he's not going to compliment him at all. Um, and then I guess the, the second thing that I wanted to, to hit on that Matt also kind of brought up was the fact that the Warriors defense was a lot better than the Suns defense um, in terms of, you know, defending that kind of like three and D style play or the small ball style of play that the Mavs brought into the series. Now, again, we know that the Mavs and the Warriors have the same offensive play style in that sense. They've got, you know, they've, they've got shooters and they, and they like to score a lot of threes. But I think that one thing that we're not really, well, I guess we'll, we were going to get to this, but I'm a little bit worried about how the, the Warriors are going to do against the Celtics because the Celtics by far are the best defensive team by now. We see it and it, it's clear as day. Um, they are, I, I think they're kind of like the perfect storm to stop the, the Warriors. And again, this is kind of, leaking into our next subject. So I'm, I'm going to pose the question to Matt soon here, but I think that just in terms of, of looking at what happened to the Mavericks going from the Suns to the Warriors, that might happen to the Warriors going from the Mavs to the Celtics. It's a little bit weird to say, and it's a little bit kind of tough to, to picture if you don't really know what we're talking about, but I, I just want to kind of iterate, reiterate the fact that the Warriors, if they do have the same type of play style that, that the Mavs do, um, you know, what are they going to do when they get to a team like the Celtics who has substantially better defense than than um, the Mavericks? And again, that's just kind of a question that's up in the air. I don't really know the answer to. We're just going to have to see. But like Marcus Smart is an absolute menace to literally the whole entire top of the key and like even the wings, too. I mean, if, if you try to outlet pass to him, there's like a 50 50 chance that he's just going to pop it out or he's going to, you know, um, jump in front of it and and steal it or something like that. And there's also like a 30% chance that he's just going to, you know, pickpocket the the point guard. Now, of course, Steph Curry is a different situation. He probably won't be able to do that against Steph Curry a lot, but he, I mean, he's just, he's so dominant on defense and, you know, they've got Jalen Brown, who's also a good defender and they've got, you know, a, a they've got Al Horford down low and Robert Williams. Those guys are superb defenders down low. Al Horford's also a really good shooter. I think Al Horford will probably be, well, he's kind of become the X factor up until this point um, in, in the playoffs for the Celtics. So I think that he's going to be a really big factor against, um, against the, the Warriors and stopping Kayvon Looney. But yeah, uh, that's kind of my evaluation of it. It was, it was a little bit all over the place, but I'll, I'll pose this next Eastern conference finals question to Matt. Again, like we said, we're doing a little, 
both sides of the bracket action here. So it seemed like the road team won nearly every game in the Eastern Conference Finals. It uh, it was two evenly matched teams, and they played seven games, and and that ended up being um, the the Celtics winning Game Seven in Miami again. That was a little bit weird there, but um, what ended up being the difference here, and who do we think is the better matchup for the Warriors in the finals? Do we think it's the Celtics, or do we think it would have been the Heat if they would have won? I think this is the pretty obvious answer. It's that the Heat just didn't have any offense. It was Jimmy Butler or nothing, which as we saw is a pretty great option. I mean, this guy was out there now. He was also, he was playing like literally for, I mean, game seven, he played 48 minutes. He played the entire, the entire, every second of that game. He was playing, you know, 42 minutes or more every single game of the series, but he was also dropping like 40 points a game. And so you kind of run into the situation where it's almost, it's almost like a, the Luca thing where like, He's doing everything for this team offensively, but I think the Miami is definitely a, a better defensive team. And that's kind of what's gotten them this far. Right. I mean, we saw a lot of low scoring games uh, that they were in and, and kind of, you know, based on what the success that they were having on their deep on the defensive end, they were able to turn that into offensive opportunities more so than, you know, kind of the, the teams that they had played thus far. But then again, we think about the teams that they played thus far. Okay. They played the Hawks in the first round series who, again, the Hawks want to play a play in spot and, and they weren't anything like what they were last year. Then they played the Sixers, but the Sixers were, I mean, you know, Joel Embiid was out for the first two games. You had all the heart, the James Harden stuff where it was kind of weird and he wasn't playing well. And then you get to the Celtics. And so the Celtics have obviously, I mean, they, they beat the Nets, they beat the Bucks, And then, you know, now they beat the Heat. So you think about just the, each of these teams rode to where they got to in the Eastern Conference Finals. And, and the Celtics had had a much tougher road. And, and, and so you think about it. And they also played seven games you know, against the Bucs. And so, you know, and then the Heat had only played six games against the Sixers. So they had extra rest and all that. So, but you just saw it time and time again on the offensive end, the Celtics could have any one of, you know, five guys, all basically all of their starters could just get points at any minute. And specifically, obviously, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who are, I think of as, I mean, obviously, I'm not like a super knowledgeable basketball guy, but I think of as in terms of scoring, Obviously, I think Jason Tatum is, is a little bit better than Jalen Brown, but I think that, you know, it, just in terms of getting you a bucket, you know, being relying upon a guy who's going to just create a shot and make a shot, I think they're very equally uh, level on that. And they're both very good, especially in comparison to kind of everyone else in the NBA, right? And we saw that completely, you know, in this series uh, where, you know, right, like I said, time and time again, you just see that when the Celtics have the ball, someone is going to be able to, to make a shot. Uh, and someone's going to be able to create a shot for someone else or themselves, um, you know, especially in, you know, in, in those, uh, I think, I believe it was, I believe it was game five when um, it was in Miami and, and, and the Celtics won on the road and they went up three, two going back to the Boston. You're thinking, all right, yeah, they're going to take this in six. Um, and, and during that game, that game five, it was right. It was in Miami and, and you're in, and you just see Jalen, I mean, Jalen Brown, he just basically took over the game. It was just every, every time he had the ball, he just do some spin move and spin move in the low post and he'd hit the jumper, you know, he did the, and then that was kind of, I think the difference is like, you almost think of the NBA now as like layups and threes. The Celtics play a very different style of basketball where, you know, they, if they have an open shot, they're going to take it or they're going to create a shot for themselves inside the, inside the kind of the, you know, inside the three point line, not super close to the basket, but the guys that they have taking these shots are going to make it. And you cannot say the same, uh, you know, for the heat. I think the same can be said for Jimmy Butler, but he's only one guy and he can't, he can't do everything. Uh, Bam Adebayo had a great series by his standards. He had one game where, you know, he had over 30 points and he made, he was like 15 for 22 from the field. Um, You know, he he looked great, but like, he's just kind of unreliable. I think that he's a great defensive player. He's one of the top 10 centers, you know, in the NBA, but I think for what, Miami is expecting him to be he's just a little bit inconsistent and that's kind of where I think the difference in this series was you saw a lot of times he would get to the basket and he'd you know he'd shoot a like basically a floater step back it you know in the paint like four feet from the basket and he would make them and it's like wow this guy's really great but you know the other times he he would just get bodied by Al Horford on defense or Robert Williams would jump like seven feet in the air and you know and reject a shot so so I think that on all levels 
the, the Celtics just were kind of outmatching the Heat. And the Heat did obviously did as much as they possibly could. They I don't even think this, the series should have gone seven games, but they got it there. And it was largely on the back of Jimmy Butler, who pretty much carried them. But like, they're still a really solid team. And you think about it too, Tyler Hero, I think only played in maybe two games. Um, and even in those two games, I think he was coming off the bench and he, and he sat out for most of the game. He, he didn't even play like, you know, a full half of basketball in each of them. And so I think that, you know, if you're talking about offensive threats, like Tyler Hero is clearly the number two guy on Miami. Yes. A lot of the times he's coming off the bench, but he can create, he can make, uh, he had the, the game or the series against the 76ers in the, in the second round of the playoffs, Tyler Hero was just going off all the time. And so, you know, then he gets hurt and we see kind of the effects that it had on this team in the, in the Eastern conference finals. You like, you cannot, Max Struess cannot be your second best offensive player, yeah. like plain and simple. And, and for, for, again, for an Eastern conference final team, you're, you know, you're one of the last two teams left in your conference. You're one of the last four teams left in the entire NBA vying for a championship. If Max Struess is your second best offensive player, I mean, t- you know, you could argue bam, but in terms of just shot making three point, creating a shot, you know, sh- shooting ability uh, outside the painted area, that's not going to, that is not the, you know, the recipe for winning a championship in the NBA, but obviously, you know, as I mentioned, right. And then Duncan Robinson also, you know, he's been hurt too. And he's, he's a sharpshooter from three. So like they were missing a lot of their offensive firepower and the guys that they kind of had left are more defensively focused people, you know, defensively, defensively focused just in general. And, and I think we saw that play out in times where the games were a little bit close uh, near the end. And, you know, and, and then the Celtics just proved that they had the shooters to, to get them out of it. And so, you know, I think that, right, obviously, the, and this was kind of the, you know, as we, as we said to begin this, uh, this segment, I know, you know, we've been talking for almost 30 minutes here. The, the Celtics and the Warriors are meeting in the finals. Both of these teams were favored to win their respective series, right? So the, the, the Celtics were favored to beat the Heat. The Warriors were, were heavily favored to beat the Mavericks, and they both did. So, so we're not talking about this as these were crazy upsets. I think kind of what we're doing is just trying to explain a little bit behind the scenes about what we saw that really allowed both of these teams to kind of shine through and their strengths to find their strengths and, and use them to their advantage against teams that they were playing against who were a little bit disadvantaged or at least kind of just met the perfect match. Right. So I, I would argue the Mavericks and the heat on either side of the playoff bracket probably played the, the worst possible team to play in kind of that it was just the, the, you know, the bad matchup for their offensive and defensive styles. Um, and that's kind of the point that we were trying to make here. So I'm going to throw it to Hayden. Um, and, and he's kind of a, he's kind of a, uh, a, a bygone Celtics fan. He, he roots for them technically, but yeah. not, you know, not, not a huge, not, not following them day in and day out, but from, I guess, from what you were obviously you were pulling for the Celtics to win. So, so what would you say kind of were, were the biggest pieces to, to the Celtics winning um, kind of other than obviously the heat, not having great offensive firepower. Yeah. I think it's Jalen Brown. I think that's literally my one, answer that I would give that's not really yeah that I guess is kind of apart from what like the mainstream would yeah. say is is that you know you've been they, high on him too this year this playoff yeah yeah exactly dude he's so good like I don't know I think he's probably one of the most underrated players in the NBA by now I whenever I hear of like great shooting guard talks and everything like that like I never really hear about Jalen Brown but well I, I guess you know currently in the NBA obviously he's not like one of the greatest of all time but Right now in the NBA, I mean, he's, yeah, I would say that he's probably like, he's probably like top five, I'd say, shooting shooting guard in the NBA. Like he's, I don't know, he, he creates, like Matt said, he creates so, so many opportunities, both for himself and his teammates. And I think that's, that's probably how I would evaluate, a, you know, a player just in general on the court is, is like how much, how much they create for both themselves and their their other teammates because there are guys that you know that are really good at like there are guys that are really good at facilitating but can't really shoot that well and there are guys that are really good at shooting and can't really facilitate that well or don't have the ability to kind of draw attention to them but I I think he's a combination of both but also you could make the argument that okay well everybody's focused on Jason Tatum a lot of the times Jalen Brown isn't really going to get a double team even if he's I think we saw it a lot in game seven against the Heat I think uh, I think Kyle Lowry was or was guarding him for most of the game, and it was it was one of those things where like if he blew past Kyle Lowry, there wouldn't be any help. Like no, almost nobody would come down low to 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 help with defense on Jalen Brown because they were so worried about 
Al Horford in the corner, or they were so worried about, um, you know, getting out to, to Jason Tatum, who would probably do something himself and score some kind of like step back three or whatever. So I think that Jalen Brown is really good on the Celtics. I don't know. If, I don't know if he would be as good if he moved somewhere else, you know, such as like the Mavs or something like that. Again, he and Luca are kind of similar players. So I don't think that it would like, I think that would be kind of, you know, almost worst case situation for him. But, uh, but yeah, I think he's definitely the X factor or not the X factor. I think he's definitely the most underrated game changer on the Celtics right now. I said that Al Horford's the X factor. I still do believe that. I, I still think that Al Horford in terms of like just sheer defense and sheer presence on the court. I think that um, Al Horford's definitely the X factor, but in terms of, I guess, kind of like, um, underrated importance or underrated value. I think that J- that Jalen Brown really deserves some respect by now. And if people aren't going to give it to him, then I don't know. So be it, but he's just going to keep on dominating. That's, that's how I th- like to think about it. So yeah, with that being said, Matt, do you want to give a little, well, we kind of already gave a little bit of an update on our, um, on our brackets. We, Matt, you, you had the Warriors in the finals from day one um, in the playoffs and I had the nets. I really, I, <laughs> After that, I did say that <laughs> I said that whoever, whatever team the Nets or the Celtics won that series, then they would move on to go to the finals. I did say that after I picked the Nets. Um, so all in all, I was wrong. But uh, but I did, you know, kind of predict it, I guess, because I because the Celtics were in that series with the Nets at first and they went on to go to the final. So I don't know. I don't. I mean, I didn't pick either team, um, I guess, from from the start. So, Matt, you've kind of got. You've kind of got me beat here. How do you feel? You feel good? Yeah, well, I do because I kind of knew this was going to happen, or at least I tried to pick an upset-ish, but I was pretty confident that something would work out, you know, kind of in, in my favor with this. I, I also said, so I picked the Bucks to make it to the finals and play the and play the uh and play the Warriors. But I did say kind of what Hayden, you know, was going for with the Nets and Celtics series. I said whoever wins the the Bucks and Celtics series is, is going to the is going to the finals, and that's pretty much what happened. So I, I think you know again, right? I was technically wrong, but but right, I could have definitely seen that, especially after kind of Miami was you know was, was losing some guys there. Um, you know, the Celtics were were probably gonna probably gonna get there, but. Yeah, I think, and it's so funny because I'm, I'm like, you know, obviously I, I, I'm super into sports betting and stuff. And like, I pred- I go on here and I predict the Warriors to win the championship back before the playoffs even started when they were, they're probably like five to one, seven to one or something. And I, I didn't, I didn't even place a bet on them to win, to win the championship. I, I should have done that. Cause now I'd be sitting here, you know, with a, like, I mean, they're probably favored. Right. So I think they are, I haven't even looked at that yet. I probably should. I know Steph Curry is like. Yeah, I mean, I know yeah, Steph Curry is like the yeah. favorite to be the to to win the NBA, the Finals MVP. But yeah, so that was kind of you know that was kind of dumb on my part. But but right, I I kind of saw it happening. I was like, all right, like the, obviously the Suns had a great series or had a great season, but and it's and it's basically the reason that I gave for this you know for this Mavericks answer that we were talking about before is like nobody has seen this Warriors team in three years, but they're the exact same team that they were before. And nobody was able to stop them for five years there. Um, you know, and, and so, and so here we are. Right. So that's kind of where I'm like, I, I think that it just made sense in my mind. And that's why I picked them to, to get here. And that's, I, I picked them to beat the bucks in the finals. I'm going to pick them to beat the Celtics in the finals. Now that we actually have the two teams here um, because they just have so many options and, and it's just the way that they play suits the guys that play for their team. Um, you know, t- you talk about Gary Payton, the second, you talk about Otto, Otto Porter Jr. You talk about Andrew Wiggins. These are guys who played for other teams and didn't do well at all. We saw Otto Porter in Washington for like five years and, and, and he was, he was basically forgotten about, um, you know, until he goes to the Warriors and, and Andrew Wiggins obviously had his stints with the Cavs and, and the Timberwolves and, and wasn't good in either scenario. Um, and now he, he looks like he could potentially win the finals MVP if he just goes off on every game. Right. So this is the style of game they play. It's something that the Celtics are not used to. It's pretty much the op, the op, the complete opposite of what the heat, you know, played and their style of offense. And so I just think that the Celtics aren't ready for what is, is going to be facing them, uh, in this warrior series. 
And obviously, right, you know, Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum, they've been here before. They know what it – well, they haven't been to the finals before. But they've they've been through long playoff runs before. They, I think there was some stat where it's like Jason Tatum is now like four and one in game sevens. Um, so, obviously, you know, they, they have the clutch gene there as well. So, if this if this series goes far, you know, they'll, they, they might be able to, to pull this out. But I just don't – I don't see it happening. And I, and I honestly, for as much as everyone, and I've said this before too, like as much as everyone was so like, you know, sick of the Warriors winning and everything, I don't like dynasties in sports like the Patriots, you know, you can have it. I didn't want to see them winning. Alabama college football. Don't, you know, it's, it's fine, but like, I'm really into college football, but like, it's just not interesting to me in terms of who wins because I know that Alabama, you know, or, or, or Ohio state or Georgia is going to win every year, but with the Warriors, for some reason, I just love the way they play. It's so entertaining, and I really, like, am rooting for them to win. I'm, I'm always an underdog guy. Hayden can tell you this. Like, I'm always rooting for the underdog. But, like, in this scenario, I almost feel like the Warriors are the underdog. Obviously, nobody's – they're not the underdog, clearly, because the betting lines say that they're favored to win the series. But I think that throughout the playoffs, nobody really had faith in them to, to get here. And now everybody's like, oh, wait, yeah they actually have the same guys as before and they were winning championships with that, with that roster. Um, and you could say they're, they're even better because you, you basically replace Kevin Durant, which obviously, yes, probably the best player in the NBA right now, replace him, but replace him with like four guys who can do largely the same things as him. And, and you just have a better offensive threat all around. So yeah, give me the Warriors in this series. And, and, you know, my 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 predictions will come true. That'll be uh that'll be a that'll be a win for the podcast. Let me tell you that. Um, little little predict, prediction going going right there. So yeah, so that's my that's kind of my my prognostication when it comes to to the to the finals and, and what's going to play out here. But let's move into a little bit of a NBA draft information questions. So the NBA draft is, is three weeks away. It's three, I think it's three weeks from Thursday. Um, and so let's do some early some early you know prognostication some early insider information about the big news so far what's going on here so basically there's three guys who are being discussed as the number one pick and, and nobody knows who which of them is going to be picked first um so it's chet holmgren who who was obviously he played one year at gonzaga last year and and he was you know their their best player he's he's an athletic alien i mean this guy's like seven one and weighs like less than 200 pounds and like walks like a hunchback, but blocks the heck out of any shot that's coming his way and, and plays often like his, the way his feet move. He's, he's a very polished player, you know, more than what he looks like. If you just look at him run down the court a couple of times, uh, Jabari Smith is also in consideration here. He's the, he's, Basically, he was Auburn's best player um, for for that kind of you know they were they were a two seed in, in March Madness this past year. Um, he was an absolute beast uh, throughout their regular season and, and tournament run. And then Paolo Bancaro, who was uh, Duke's best player, he's he's kind of your your you know your Ben Simmons type. Obviously, making a comparison to Ben Simmons at now at this time is is probably the worst possible the thing right that time. I can do. But pro you know prospect wise, a six ten guy who can be a point guard, uh, basically, obviously. The, the, the difference is Paolo Bancaro can shoot and is not scared uh, to play basketball. So um, I would say that Paolo Bancaro is probably a better prospect than, than, than Ben Simmons was. And hopefully his career turns out a little bit better than Simmons did as well. So they all have, all these three guys have different skill sets. And so we'll kind of discuss who we think is the best fit for the NBA overall is which is as well as which teams uh, will choose them now that we have the draft order. So the, um, Hey, do you know the top three picks off the, off the top of your head? I know the magic or magic or first. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually looking it up right now. I, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, I got to look that we, up. I know. I don't we, know. We probably should have looked them up, especially since we're talking about those, these three guys. But but yeah. right. I mean, they will be they will be kind of among the the, the guys. They'll be the first three picks. Right. But the, the cool thing about this draft is that you're going to have the option to or at least it's, it's, it's going to be like, a, you know, kind of a surprise to or, or at least like not a known thing as to who goes first. Like last year, it was, you know, it was Kate Cunningham all the way like everybody knew he was gonna be the number one pick it was just like oh you know what's gonna happen after that where and then in past years too we've had this happen a lot where you know the number one pick is just pretty much you know bona fide gonna happen like deandre ayton's a good example um obviously ben simmons is also a good example although you know his, his playing career didn't didn't turn out too great um so yeah so we had a, a lot of guys like this in the past but in terms of like who's gonna be the number one overall pick it's you know it's never a surprise this year i think it's like we have three different, very different prospects. And so that's kind of why I wanted to bring up this topic of like, 
based on the teams that are going to be choosing them, where do we think they'll go and kind of how the, how do their skill sets translate from what they were doing in college to then, you know, playing on an NBA team and, and really, you know, trying to bring that team to, you know, what they're trying to do, which is kind of, you know, make the playoffs, win a championship, you know, obviously uh, not in the near future for many of these teams. Um, so, yeah, so, so Hayden will, will then kind of let you know the top three picks in the, in the draft, who, you know, what teams are, are, are kind of vying for these players right now, and then kind of give his thoughts on, on who he thinks will go to what team. Yeah. So I have the, <laughs> the draft order pulled up by now. Thank you for giving me that time here, Matt. But, uh, but yeah, so number one, obviously, like Matt said, is the magic. And then, Number two pick, the Oklahoma City Thunder have that. And then the Houston Rockets have the third pick. So we're probably really only going to be talking about those three picks uh, today. Like Matt said, we're not really going to go dumpster diving here into everything first round related. But we are going to talk about the first, I mean, I guess the top three prospects, which I want to give a kind of a little evaluation on these three guys. Now, I've been preaching this ever, literally ever since the beginning of this past season, um, again, I think Paolo Bancaro is probably the most hyped up prospect at the beginning of the season coming into the 2020 or 2021 to 2022 regular season. And that was because he was just, I mean, he's dominant. He's, he's, he's a freshman. He's going to be a one and done. And he's probably one of the best freshmen or one of the most dominant freshman players we've seen in a long time. And he, I think he's going to go number one. I think if the, if the magic, are going for any kind of player that's going to that's going to bring them immediate success it's going to be Paolo Bancaro i people like throughout the middle of the season and towards the end of the the college basketball season they were kind of getting a little bit i don't know people weren't talking as much about Paolo Bancaro everybody was talking about Chet Holmgren they were like oh Chet Holmgren is definitely going to be the number one overall pick Paolo Bancaro is out of the situation by now. No, he's not. Bancaro, like, I mean, he may be, according to the Magic. I don't know, you know, I don't know the insider information on the organization that's picking first. But if it were me and I was picking first, I would definitely pick Paolo Bancaro. He's he's six foot ten, two fifty. I, I, he's he's huge, and people he's bigger than LeBron. Like, yeah, seriously. exactly, exactly. And people say like. And whenever I say that to, I, I was talking to my friends one time. I was, I think we were watching the, we were watching the Duke. It was Duke against somebody in the in the tournament. I forget. Oh, it was it was uh it was Duke against or Arkansas, Arkansas. Duke against Duke against Arkansas. We were watching that in one of my friends' apartment, um, at UVA, and I told them that Paolo Mancaro is six foot ten, two hundred fifty pounds, and they're like, "No, dude, shut up. You're that like that. That's crazy." I was like you want to look it up? <laughs> and they're like, okay, dude, don't believe everything on the internet. I'm like, dude, what? <laughs> like if we were to look up LeBron right now, it'd say what? Six, eight, two sixty, or two fifty, or whatever. Like that's, I mean, yeah, it, it's truthful. So he's just insane. He, he's huge and he's so athletic and he's, he's fast. Um, Matt said that Chet Holmgren is probably the most technical guy out of these three, which I, I would agree with. He, he is the most, the most technically, um, sophisticated or savvy, I guess, but he's so small. Like he's so, he's so skinny. He's not going to be able to, I mean, you put him up against Al Horford, dude, he's getting bodied so hard. Like Al Horford would literally throw him in the next week. He's not like, he's not going to just play around with Chet Holmgren down low. Again, if Chet Holmgren somehow puts on a lot of weight, he's not going to be able to, um, you know, this quickly in this kind of turnaround from the tournament until, until the the draft but if he somehow like in his first year puts on a lot of weight and gets stronger at least somewhat then i could i could see how you would make uh make a case for him being you know turning out to be the best out of these three guys but i think in terms of being nba ready right now paolo paolo bancaro he has the size he's also clutch like it was one of those things where if duke was in a sticky situation or which they had a lot of them actually in the tournament where it, you know, it got down to crunch time and they needed to put it in, you know, one guy's hands and be able to trust him with it. Bancaro was that guy and he almost never failed them. Like he, I mean, I can't even name a time where he choked or, or you know, kind of cost them uh, or missed a costly shot or whatever like that. So I think that's why Bancaro should go number one. Jabari Smith, I don't really have much commentary on him other than that he's kind of like a Kevin Durant 
like player. Um, he's very, you know, he, he can handle the ball from outside. He can kind of, uh, he's not necessarily like a point guard point guard, but if you give it to him kind of in the low post, he can do something with it. If you give him to it, give it to him outside. He can also do something with it. Um, he's very versatile, but, and there was actually one point in the season where I thought he was going to go number one, but judging by how Bancaro played in that last part of the season, especially the tournament, I think that Bancaro should go number one overall. And I don't even really think it's that close. Um, I guess the, if I were to give, to give an order here, I would probably go uh, Bancaro, Holmgren, and then, and then Jabari Smith. Again, Jabari Smith is a great player. It just kind of sucks that he got, or maybe it doesn't suck for him because technically, I mean, you don't, you don't really want to be picked first overall because you're going to a really bad team, but yeah, like, unfortunately for him, he just is going up against two other superstars in this draft. And so he's probably, I think he's most likely going to go third and then Chet Holmgren will go second again because Holmgren has more potential, I think in, in this draft. So yeah, that's going to be my little, uh, little order here, Matt, if you want to give some evaluations based on the teams, I, I don't even, <laughs> the reason I didn't give any is because I don't even really know much about the magic. I know a little bit, you know, about the thunder and, and rockets, but I'll leave that for, uh, for Matt to kind of discuss. Okay. So I think, and I think this is kind of what Hayden's going to miss here is that the, the team dynamics really play a big part in like what each of these prospects could offer them. Um, I think Chet Homer is going to go number one to the magic. And the reason is because the magic picked Jalen Suggs in last year's draft. Both of them played it. Well, but yeah, both of them played at Gonzaga. They played in different years, obviously. Both of them played, I think, in AAU together or something. There's some like history there where they've played together before. So it's kind of again like, you know, they're they're gonna be linking up again. Um, Cole Anthony, who was a great point guard at UNC for for a couple of years. Um, it took him a little bit to kind of find his find his place in the NBA, but he's been playing a lot better as of late. Um, they also picked Franz Wagner last year, that the big guy from Michigan. Remember him? So he's he was playing out of his mind i mean he 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 like the numbers he was putting up was was honestly i mean i, I think nobody talked about a furky of the year but he, he definitely could have uh you know could have won that and then um wendell carter jr is another guy who right he played for, he got drafted by the by the bulls he was okay there um and then he went to the he went to the magic and, and he's he was putting up numbers too last year obviously none of these teams are are actually you know really super great so but but they're very they're all very young right and so that's kind of the thing is you build a young core and, and you you know you, you try to grow from that so i think the magic are the best fit for chet holmgren because they, like they have guys like wendell carter jr is their center right he's the guy who's going to be in the middle rough and tumble getting those rebounds getting those blocks and yes, Chet Holmgren is, 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 should be tall enough to be playing the five. He can play the five at some points, but Hayden's exactly right. I mean, these NBA guys are huge. He's not going to compete with guys like Al Horford, like he mentioned, but I think that they'll probably use him in a different, honestly, like in a different way, kind of like a, kind of like a Kevin Durant type, but obviously not because Kevin, Kevin Durant is, you know, just a one of a kind player. But I think that in the same way, I think the magic can really work well with almost using Chet Holmgren as like not a big guy, just a really tall, small forward, essentially, um, so that he can kind of utilize his skill sets. And then maybe on defense, you put him down there and, and you know, have him chase around some blocks or something. Um, so I think that that's why he's probably the best fit for the magic. And he's probably going to go number one overall, at least at least for me. Um, I think just because the fit with with uh, with Orlando there is going to be good. For second pick, uh, for the second pick, it's it's the Thunder. Um, they drafted Josh Giddy last year, who was like a kind of basically an international player. He was he was he's from Australia, um, and I think he's he's a really big. I mean, he's he's kind of the same, almost the same type of player as Jabari Smith, I would say. Um, and so he's kind of that guy who's who's going to just just be there. He got he actually got a lot of like you know double doubles, triple doubles last year. Um, so he played well for them. And, and I think they have a solid point guard, obviously, in uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, but there's talks that they might trade him away. I think, I don't know, this is tough. I think the Thunder are probably going to draft Jabari Smith just because, like, obviously Hayden mentioned Paolo Bancaro's skill set is, is very unique. The problem is the teams that have the number one and number two picks don't really need Paolo Bancaro's skill set. I think that the team that needs his skill set is is the well actually because technically I mean it's because okay the Rockets pick third right and they picked Jalen Green last year who's you know 
a point guard. He played really well. He actually was really good and he's a point guard. And so you wouldn't want him sharing the ball with, you know, with, with someone like with, with Paolo Vincaro, because he, obviously he's your point guard, but so is Shake. I think let's, 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 let's give my final answer here. I think it's going to be Chet Holmgren one to the magic. I think Paolo Vincaro is going to go two to the thunder. And I'll say that uh, Jabari Smith's going to go three to the rockets. Um, but again, that order could change because it's really just up in the air about who kind of, Who's going to want who? There might even be trades. You know, you, you, you never really know. But yeah, I would say of these three, I think that Hayden's right, like completely, because he didn't, again, he didn't do too much, you know, behind the scenes about the teams and their styles and their players or whatever. But just talent wise, skill set wise, I think Paolo Bancaro is the, 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 the cleanest prospect coming out of college and, and is best prepared to play in the NBA. So I, I think he's, I think he's spot on there. Um, let's now move on to Formula One. So two two races have passed since we last talked about Formula One, Um, the Spanish Grand Prix uh, and the Monaco Grand Prix, which was this past uh, this past weekend. Um, So each race had different winners. Obviously, both of them, uh, Spain was Max Verstappen and Monaco was Sergio Perez. They both drive for Red Bull. So you had different winners. You had different weather situations. Obviously, the Spanish Grand Prix was very, very dry, sunny all the time. Monaco was wet and then dry. There was rain. There was wind. There was kind of a lot going on there. Um, different finishing order for, for those races. Obviously, you know, different cars getting different amount of points and whatever. But the one thing that remained true is that Ferrari was clearly the best car, but could not follow through in the race. Okay. And that, that means that essentially Charles Leclerc, he won pole for both of those races. He started first in both those races. He was fastest in practice. He was fastest in qualifying for both the Spanish and the Monaco Grand Prix. Um, He was in full control of both of those races as well. He lost power in the race in Spain. So basically his car just shut down because the the engine just blew. Um, And then at Monaco, it was a weird situation where essentially he, he was like entering the pit lane and then like he was already in the pit lane and he was like literally like almost right next to his team member, like his pit crew who were going to change his tires. And then he goes, he gets a radio message from his, from his, you know, from his, uh, from his team. And they're like, stay out on the track. And he's already like in the pit lane, like about to get his tires changed. And lo and behold, then Carlos signs his teammate comes right around the corner and he's right behind him. And so essentially what that's called is a double stack in the pit lane. And you don't want to do that because basically what happens is you have to wait for one guy to get his full you know, pit stop change. He has to pull away and then your second guy gets in line and then goes and then he pulls away. And so you basically just double lose on the track position when you kind of have this mishap in the pit lane. And so that kind of screwed over Ferrari for this race. They were, they qualified one two they were running one two for most of the race most of the race and they ended up finishing second and fourth um so obviously you know right charles leclerc was leading both those races he kind of had he kind of got screwed by his power loss and his pit crew mishap uh in those two races and then carlos signs is you know who's his teammate has just continued to disappoint uh with his results he's you know he, he always starts near the top and then he just can't he he He'll finish, you know, in he'll, he'll finish in a podium position or fourth or fifth or whatever. But it's like with the he has the best car in the grid, right? You're like the Ferrari is 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 faster than every other car. He should be getting first or second every race, and he just seems to be getting beat out by other racers. And and so he's just kind of not really up to par of of what should be expected out of having you know driving the Ferrari uh, in this year's F1 season. So. I'm going to ask Hayden the question, what's the future for, for, for Ferrari? Do we think that they're going to have a chance to now win either the driver's championship or the constructor's championship, or is it just going to be, you know, more of the same from here on out? Yeah, I think they're going to, I think they have a pretty good chance of winning the, the constructors again. I think I, I'm pretty sure they're still ahead of Red Bull at least by a little bit. Um, I haven't checked the standings recently, no, but Red Bull's Red Bull's in front now. Oh, really? Oh, dang it. Well, I don't know. I mean, I th- I think they still have a pretty good chance. It's it's close, though, right? Like, is it within? Yeah, it's like it's like 10 or 20. It's like one race is worth the points. So, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, then that's 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 fair. Again, if that's assuming that Charles Leclerc and Ferrari can get their stuff figured out. Uh, that's not very good when you have two races in a row where things go wrong one the power loss against again you know these things that are happening to Leclerc aren't at all his fault the power loss is just something that happens in a car and it's it's unfortunate but and he was in first that's even more unfortunate but um and then the whole I guess pit lane thing that happened in Monaco was also not his fault obviously because he was 
you know, coming back into the pits. There was obviously a plan to come back into the pits for him, and then they told him to stay out, which, again, that's that's just a kind of a miscommunication on Ferrari's part, on the, t- on the team's part. But, yeah, Carlos Sainz, on the other hand, he just, like, Matt and I have talked about this guy. He just kind of sucks. Like, it's there's not really much much else you can say about him. Um, at this point, he's he's had plenty of chances to kind of show that he's good. I think he's had a cu- he's had a couple uh, starting positions of second, I think, and he's just kind of thrown those away every time he's gotten them. So, yeah, he he's just not really that good. Again, like Matt said, he's most likely gonna gonna finish in the top five of each race each race, but he's not really gonna win any. Like that's that kind of uh, where he's at right now. And again, it's 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 kind of tough on him. I feel bad because. Uh, his, he had a, I think it was his dad that, that used to race F1 and his dad was pretty good, but now he's on, you know, he's kind of like following him up and he's not really good at all, but yeah, I think, I think we're going to see, I don't know. We, we might see Ferrari make a change or something like that. I don't even really know how the contracts work in, in formula one. Is it just like a one year thing? Like they just do one year things and then they, and then they decide if they want to change up drivers. Is that how? No, it's, it's similar to, to most sports where you sign, kind of like multi-year deals. Um, and, but it, it's, it's, it's shorter amount of times, like for what the deals are. So like, yeah. I mean, obviously like Patrick Mahomes got signed for 10 years, like no Ferrari or no formula one driver is ever going to get signed for 10 years. It's usually like, I would say two or three years, unless you have mm-hmm. like a really good. So like when, I think when, when Ferrari signed Charles Leclerc, they signed him to like a five or six, maybe even seven year deal because they knew that he was a very young driver. He was going to do well in the sport and they wanted him to be. And clearly he, I mean, he is, he's, he's deserves to be there. He's, he's been racing the best of anybody. He's just kind of getting gotten unlucky with his team situation. Um, but yeah. So in terms of, I don't know what Carlos signs contract is exactly looking like, but yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's almost like they kind of should start to maybe reconsider, reconsider that choice at this point. Yeah, for sure. So that's that for Ferrari. I, I don't really know. I mean, for the rest of the season, we are going to see Max Verstappen and, and Sergio Perez, give them a run for their money. And if I had, if I had to bet on it right now, I would probably take Max Verstappen to win the driver's championship and then Red Bull to win the constructors because that's you know that's probably the safest pick but uh but i i don't want to count ferrari out just yet they could come back i'm saying that they could it, they have a chance to but again if i were to bet on it i'd probably bet on red bull um actually i, I definitely would right now so yeah that's kind of like a little i don't know it's just kind of like, like a little state of the game here in 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 f1 because again we haven't really talked about it in a couple of weeks but i'd like to get matt's opinion on kind of where he thinks ferrari is and and what he thinks of their struggles right now. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because we saw toward in the first few races, it was really like Ferrari came out strong. I think, I think Leclerc won two of the first three races and the one that, and, and he was, I mean, he was still competing in all of them. Obviously Carlos Sainz wasn't winning races, but he got a couple pole or sorry, a couple of podiums. Um, and he was still up there and Ferrari was really running away honestly with the, with the, with the constructor championship and Leclerc was on top in the driver's championship. And, it was funny because the first time we talked about it on here, it was essentially like every race that that Max Verstappen finished, he came in first and every other race, he just didn't finish at all, yeah. you know? And so it was the kind of this weird dynamic there, but Red Bull looked to have a good bit of car problems earlier in the year, which is kind of why it was a little bit, you know, it was, it was, it was a little bit concerning because you think, you know, right. That this is the team that won the, the, you know, won the driver's championship last year and finally kind of ended Mercedes uh, dominance for, for however long it's been now. And, and they come out looking a little bit flat or at least driving well when their cars worked. And then the other times their cars really didn't work because it was, it was power issues. It wasn't really anything that Max was, you know, was, was, was doing in terms of being too, too aggressive or crashing out or whatever it was. I think he lost power in, you know, in, in one race and maybe, you know, had tire issues in another or something like that. And so he, you know, he wasn't able to finish, I think two of the first four races or something like that. So we kind of run into that situation and you think, all right, well, you know, Ferrari looks like they're doing really well. They're look, you know, they they look stable They're you know, their cars are finishing, they're winning races and Red Bull looks to have kind of, you know, hit a roadblock here. And then ever since that, it's been the complete opposite. It's been Red Bull domination and it's been, it's been Ferrari having car troubles. So that's why I kind of think they still have a chance here. And I kind of agree with Hayden, you know, if, if that was kind of his first, his, his, uh, his first uh, perspective here was that, you know, 
there's still a long way to go in the season. And I think that if you're having car issues, that's a lot easier to fix than a driver issue, right? Because if, if you're, if you're, if you're clearly, you know, the fastest cars in qualifying and practice, and then, you know, your engine fails in the, in the race, you know, well, you can't really, you can't really do much about that. Um, You know, and then obviously in Monaco, they had the pit, the pit crew issue, but it's like the, the tough part is like, can the team actually get themselves together and make this work? Because they clearly haven't been able to do so, so far. And then on top of that, you have Carlos Sainz who really like, you know, as Hayden mentioned, like he's just not doing as well as he should be doing. And so I think they kind of have a double, you know, a, a, a double-edged sword on their hand where it's like, if the team can just get their stuff together and then obviously Carlos Sainz, if he just improves a little bit, Ferrari could be dominant, right? But you can't really say that that's necessarily going to happen because obviously Red Bull's been here before. You had Max Verstappen who won the Drivers' Championship last year and who obviously, I mean, he's won, you know, half the races um, this year. And then Sergio Perez, who has shown that he's a great number two driver in the Red Bull seat and and obviously just won, you know, the the most famous Formula One race on, on the entire calendar, right, in Monaco. So, like, they look really strong now. And I think the tables are turning a little bit and we're beginning to see Red Bull kind of take over uh, and, and, you know, and, and really fix the mistakes that they had earlier in the season. Can Ferrari do that now again, kind of in turn as well? I don't know. I, I think that I probably, right. I mean, you think that you'd hope that they won't have another pit crew uh, disaster like they did at, at, at Monaco and that they won't have uh, too many more engine failures in the, in the middle of races. Um, and so I think that these past two weeks have kind of just been fluke losses for Ferrari in, in, you know, in which if they just win one of these races, right. I mean, think about Leclerc never loses power in Spain. He wins that race. He's on top of the driver's championship. Ferrari is, you know, is, is flying high. And then they have, you know, they have a pit crew mishap at, uh, at Monaco. We're just saying, Oh, you know, dang Ferrari just, you know, they, they messed up their pit lane, you know, entrance that, that, that happens, right. That it's formula one. It's, it's, it's driving that happens. And we'd be thinking about this as like a very much a, you know, there there's anything can happen from here on out. Well, you know, we're going to be able to see what it is, but I think a lot of people are getting down on Ferrari just because it was just kind of two, two bad weeks in a row, but two, again, like I said, two kind of fixable errors. I think it's really just going to come down to Carlos Sainz though. And it sucks because like we kind of have just called him really bad this whole time. Um, But I think he is the key. He needs to do what Sergio Perez has been able to do kind of at first starting out. Sergio Perez wasn't doing that great but he's gotten more used to the car he's gotten more used to kind of you know working with his teammate Max Verstappen and Carlos Sainz has been with Ferrari now for I think is this his third year this might be his third year with Ferrari and he still hasn't if not his second year either way he hasn't done he hasn't even won a race yet I mean Sergio Perez won a race in his like third race with Red Bull right I mean like you got like come on now so I think that's kind of where it all comes down to for Ferrari who and as Hayden mentioned you know wherever the contract situation is they might they might have to might have to reconsider where they're where they're putting their money there um actually yeah I just looked it up and Carlos signs he signed a two-year contract from now like just a month ago so he's gonna be with Ferrari until the end of 2024 which is crazy like literally just a month ago he signed another two-year contract like what yeah I don't know. Maybe they have confidence in him. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and, and this is what they wanted to do. So when, when Leclerc and Sainz actually both got there, it was the youngest like average um, age for like team members in, I think formula one history. And it was with Ferrari. Who's this, you know, storied franchise, you know, own uh, team in the sport. And so it was like, wow, this is kind of crazy. But what they were doing essentially was like, Hey, we know we're going to have a good car coming up. If we just sign two of the, you know, very young drivers and they're just able to get in this car, work out a few of the kinks and then just go, go, go for the next, you know, five years. That's really the goal here. And so I think that's kind of what they are getting to. Um, I think it's just taking a little bit longer than they thought, but I mean, right. I think, you know, my, my point remains, this is by no means a, you know, a, a crisis for Ferrari. I think you know, if, if they just don't have any fluke mistakes for the next few races, they can definitely take the, you know, take the fight back to Red Bull. Um, but yeah, I mean, Max is just, it, it, he's just the best driver on the grid right now. And it's like, when you have him and then obviously a great support driver and Sergio Perez who can take it, you know, capitalize on Ferrari's mistakes and win the win at Monaco. Like that's a pretty, that's a, that's a pretty, you know, that's a pretty dominant team that you're looking at there and, and nothing that's going to, you know, 
be able to say, oh yeah, we'll just be able to beat those guys. Um, so the, the race is, or the, in the fight is going to be kind of, it's going to be good going, going from, you know, from here on out. Um, but I think kind of the, you know, the, the pressure is on at Ferrari to, to perform in these next, uh, these next couple of weeks. I think they have, I don't exactly know the, the immediate schedule after this, but I think it, I think they go to, I think they do. It's, it's, it's Azerbaijan next. Okay. Um, yeah. and then do they do like, like Silverstone, Britain and, uh, and spa in Belgium before, cause I know they have a summer break and I think that's coming up. It may uh, be in July. I think it's July. They have a summer break. So it may be a couple more races. Yeah. I think it's probably, I think it's probably Azerbaijan and then, um, and then Silverstone, Britain, and then uh, Spa in Belgium. And then they do the summer break and they kind of get back and they'll come back to America and stuff. But yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, kind of we have a month here until their summer break. So pressure's on at Ferrari. We'll see what they can do. That's right. We are going to give you guys the updates, as you know, as as they come to us. We're going to keep on talking about it. We actually, I, I want to talk more about F1 on here because, again, I'm, I'm getting kind of more into it as the season goes on. I used to be into it and then I kind of fell out of following it. And then now I'm kind of getting back into it because we are in the midst of a, of a pretty cool season um, so far, which, you know, it's been kind of different from past years because again, it was just Lewis Hamilton winning all the time. I think that's probably why I kind of fell out of love with formula one for a little bit is because it was just Lewis Hamilton winning every single race for so long, but now we actually have some competition again. It only is between really, you know, two different teams, but it is what it is. I mean, at least it's some kind of competition, but yeah, Matt, do you want to talk about NHL today or do you want to save it for, I don't know. I kind of added this, this last topic, like right, right at the end, like right before we started recording. So we can kind of skip over it if you want. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the Rangers, but we can, we can save that for another time. If you Whatever want. you want to do. Um, I, I think, I mean, we're probably over an hour at this point. So, yeah. um, I'm good to just maybe push that to maybe we do like a Friday episode or something this week. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Cause I'm pretty busy on Saturday. So then maybe we can kind of get that and we'll have kind of the first couple games of the, of the conference finals for hockey done too. Um, and so we yeah. can kind of see if this, if this Rangers domination continues against the formidable Tampa Bay lightning coming up here in the Eastern conference finals. Yeah. Some Igor Shesterkin. There we dominance. go. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that, that's going to wrap up this episode then since we are, pushing uh pushing some hockey until friday hope you guys enjoyed it we will be back like matt said on friday he's uh he's a little bit busy on saturday which yeah that's that's honestly probably going to be i think friday episodes are kind of not better at this point but i think that they i think they do better in terms of um listeners and and kind of yeah because usually they come out on friday night and then they're like there in people's library you know the subscribers it's like there for you on saturday morning so if you're not doing anything you're just kind of hey i'm gonna listen to the podcast which definitely listen to the podcast and listen to it all the way through and give us a rate and review while you're at it (laughs) there you go (laughs) um yeah so we are gonna definitely do that on friday um again we're gonna have some conference finals for hockey and then the game one of the NBA finals is on Thursday night. So that'll happen before we do Friday's episodes. So we'll have that to talk about as well. Hopefully there'll be some good topics from there. So thank you guys for listening. We um, will be back pretty soon and (laughs) I hope you guys have a great rest of the week and yeah, we'll see you Friday.